0: Well, uh, this is Paul Schneierman today in the 108th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. My special guest today is uh, former UW Husky quarterback, legend, uh, NFL player Steve Palour And my podcast is now also on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Google, iTunes, and some other outlets. You can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. Let me get b- back to you, Steve. You were just mentioning that you're uh, former teammate Jim Rogers has a podcast going. Go ahead. I cut you off a second Go share a little bit more about uh, what Jim's doing with his podcast. Well, I think he, um,
1: he was instrumental in getting the Don James statue out in front of Peckhead and, and kind of re-entered the Seattle Puget Sound a, a community a couple years ago, um, after being all over the world. And, um, And so I was able to reconnect with him and and he had started in, in real estate. And so, and I'm, that's been my business for about the last 20 years. So I was trying to kind of help him, uh, enter into the business, but he soon found, uh, with his affiliation with university of Washington and his passion for Husky football, he, he, um, decided to do some interviews and videos. And so he, he, um, just started with like sunny six killer and and a lot of the old favorites um i think uh who's the big offensive tackle from snohomish that lost his foot um kurt marsh um and and then a lot of you know not so big names like gertrude peoples the um the administrator that helped so many athletes over the years and so um it's just been really fun. I've, I've only seen one of his podcasts, but, um, he's, uh, he's got like 40 or 50 of them. Uh, I get, and I don't know if they're podcasts necessarily or YouTube videos or what, but, um, he's, he really has a passion for it and does a, does a nice job.
0: That's great. Steve, I'm going to want to get connected to Jim Rogers. I told you off the air, I've had your colleague Mark Patterson on a couple of times who also has a, a great podcast. So I, I definitely, uh, Appreciate you sharing a little about Jim Rogers. Let me get back to you, Steve. So Steve Palure is a graduate of interlake high school in Bellevue outside of Seattle. Uh, Steve's a UW football legend. I remember when you led the Huskies to a 28 zero win over Iowa. And I think it was 82 Rose bowl. Uh, Steve said a whole bunch of UW passing records. Uh, Steve, I think left the UW as a second career leader in passing yards. Um, Steve played in NFL for Dallas, Kansas City, and played in the CFL and and played for the Frankfurt Galaxy of the, of the World League of American Football. Of uh, so, uh, Steve comes from a very athletic family. His son Zeke is now a member of the Husky football team. But uh, really appreciate you coming on the 108th edition of Sports Untold, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. Yeah, thanks. No, it's it's an honor to be here. Absolutely. Well, Steve, you know your family has such a athletic tradition, and I kind of like you to share a little bit about how you got the football bug at a young age. And if you could share a little about your late dad, Artie Palour as well, who played at WSU and what you share about your, kind of your family heritage and how you got the football bug.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think, um, I think it helped just to have a, you know, an older brother and then a younger brother as well. So, um, and we grew up in Spokane with a big backyard that really just turned into a football field and, and just, recall just heading outside at every moment um, I think uh, my athletic um, um, affinity probably started uh, with my grandfather who his name was Carl Gustafson and he actually um, was a running back for the Cougars um, and and won the bowler medal at, at Washington State uh, was a prolific running back, and um, so he, I just re- recall him, you know, getting me out the, in the backyard with these old uh, ancient uh, foot, uh, baseball gloves and just playing catch, you know, just taught me how to play catch, and so that was kind of my first memory, um, and then my father, Arnie, was a track coach um and cross-country coach at Whitworth, uh, which is Whitworth College in Spokane. So, sure. um, you know, he he would bring home a, you know, like he brought home a high jump pit and we put it in the backyard. So we practiced high jumping and then he'd take us down to the field house and we'd run around and uh, just, you know, we were always, um, you know, outside doing sports as much as we could. mostly football, but, you know, also some baseball and basketball so that's kind of my early memories and um you know just had a great affinity for my father who would take me to his cross-country meets and always have me tagging along and you know just really looked up to him and so you know when he passed away at 10 years old it was a real uh traumatic thing for us to you know not have a father that um could help nurture the Less emotionally spiritually and and obviously with the athletics as well but my mom was a, a PE major as well and so she she kind of took on that role and and um, uh, you know she 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 could have been a coach in her own right so
0: what a great family history. And, and, you know, we hear about people talking about gene replacement therapy. Boy, I, I, I got to get some of these Pallure family <laughs> athletic genes. It's just incredible that the heritage you have of these great athletes. You know, Steve, what part of your life that has that always interests me, and I'm about eight years younger than you, but I followed your career and, and certainly knew who you were before, before we met. And you came from a couple of generations of WSU family members. Tell us about your decision as a teenager to pick the University of Washington. That must have been a very tough decision for you
1: it was hard just because, you know, ever since my, um, older brother was there, I mean, even listening to his games as a freshman on the radio, you know, with the throwing Samoan, I mean, I was a big Cougar fan and we would travel over to the games and, you know, I got to know know, his buddies in the fraternity. I got to know, you know, um, a lot of his teammates. So, um, but I think the thing that really was a huge influence was living on the west side of the mountains and having um, like Tom Flick was the quarterback ahead of me at Interlake. And so to see him go to Washington and have success there uh, and uh, and then actually the the quarterback just before me, his name was Chris O'Connor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He 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 went to the University of Washington and and didn't play quarterback, but ended up playing a lot as a strong safety. So, you know, just to have this tradition of athletes come from my high school and have success at Washington was very, very appealing. And, um, you know, I, I sure had a fondness for Washington State but just seeing the success that Washington had and Don James and the, the um, you know, powerful teams that they had, it just, it, and it being so close, um, was pretty attractive.
0: It's interesting, um, Steve, you mentioned that Tom Flick and Chris O'Connor had some influences in your decision to pick the U-Dub.
1: Yeah, and, and my my brother had played with Tom, and so, you know, I had certainly followed his career, and, and um, you, know, uh, you know, Warren Moon had got him to the Rose Bowl, so they were just kind of getting to national promises, pro, uh, prominence with, coach James. So, um, you know, and the Cougars had done fairly well, you know, the throwing Samoan had kind of brought them to, um, prominence and, you know, they had, uh, I remember listening to them upset Nebraska in Nebraska, which was a huge win. Um, but I, I just felt like, uh, I wanted to be a part of a really successful program. I had a lot of respect for coach James and, um, so, um, you know, it was hard to to uh, step away from family tradition, but um, I just kind of felt like I I wanted to chart my own path to some degree.
0: Paul Schneierman, the host of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, UW legend Steve Pelluer. We're also on Facebook Live today, and I invite the audience to submit some questions here in this uh, interview with uh, with this legendary sports figure. Steve, you know, I mentioned in the introduction at the very beginning that you had an amazing game in that uh, Washington victory over Iowa. I believe it was in the 82 Rose Bowl. Was that the biggest highlight of your UW football career, that Rose Bowl victory, and your role in it?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely in the top three, I think. Uh, you know, just that whole setting, the pageantry, the, um, you know... The whole Puget Sound community getting behind that Rose Bowl tradition—you know, everybody traveling down to Pasadena—it—it um, it, it was just a thrill to, to be there, and and that you know to be able to practice in Newport Beach, you know, ten days before the game and spend holidays down there—it it was really cool. But I think the probably my favorite moment was um, my senior year when we. Came back and beat Michigan um, at, at Husky Stadium when we were down 14 points with, you know, seven minutes to go and were able to come back and go for two and, and win that game. So I think that's probably my favorite um, play and, and and moment. But I think the, the my favorite experience would definitely be that Rose Bowl.
0: That Michigan win was a huge early '80s win. Thank you for sharing that with us, Steve. I got to ask you maybe a little bit of a of a kind of tough question, but I'm I'm really curious. So you were seven one as the Husky starting quarterback, but you lost a starting job to Tim Cowan the following year. Did that upset you?
1: Oh yeah, no. It was it was very. I mean, I loved Tim. We had a good relationship, but I he was you know he actually won the job my sophomore year, and then got hurt and so that's kind of what gave me the opportunity to to play and and help get the huskies to the rose bowl so you know everybody kind of expected me after having that rose bowl year to to um you know continue to be the starter all that year but you know we we got upset by stanford after being ranked number one in the nation um and i just remember just feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders at that time. I mean, I just was carrying a lot of pressure. You know, I, I was just a young kid and that it just, you know, it was, um, you know, it was, it was a lot to deal with at that age. And, and so, um, you know, I didn't really know how to handle that kind of pressure. And so uh, I think it, it did affect my, my performance and my confidence. And so it took a while to regain that.
0: You know, I had Keith Gilbertson on my show a couple of years ago, Steve, and you'll probably relate to this very much. Uh, Keith, and I'm paraphrasing what he said. He said one of the toughest jobs in, in Seattle is been the UW quarterback.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, I I I look at what Dylan Morris and Sam Hewitt are having to face these days. And I'm like, man, you know, it's what I dealt with is like, five-fold, you know, more pressure on them. I mean, you know, for Sam to be a five-star guy coming out of high school at, you know, what is he, 18? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, just the expectations, especially with his dad being a, an NFL quarterback. I mean, uh, it, it, uh, it takes a lot of mental toughness, I think, these days. And I'm, I'm amazed at some of these kids that come out as freshmen and, and, you know, light the world on fire, it's like, gosh, how, how, how do they do that? You know, how, how are they so mature to be able to handle that kind of pressure?
0: Well, Jeff different era. You definitely had some pressures as well, but it's, it's interesting to bring up the a couple of the current Husky quarterbacks that so they've gone through. Well, Steve, your son Zeke is the U Dub, as I mentioned at the very beginning, and he's he's on the Husky roster and getting some time. Uh, can I pick your brain at all? on the Caleb, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. The Caleb DeBoer-Iring. Is it DeBauer or DeBoer? I keep getting his last name. I up,
1: don't. So. I don't even know. I. I've, uh, I mean, I'm sure I've heard it on uh, the news uh, broadcast, but I'm not even sure, you know, that I've heard it that often.
0: What's your take on the hiring? Any thoughts as a father of a of a team of a guy in the team and an alum? I, I'm just kind of curious, pick your brain.
1: I I'm excited. I mean i i um, I like the fact that he started at Sioux Falls and and um, you know was able to to have great success there and and as a head coach and and then you know really my only experience watching him was in the Fresno State UCLA game, just watching him on the sidelines. And that was just a nail biter. And I just, I just witnessed him on the sidelines, just being cool and calm and confident. And I was like, man, how, how is he doing that? You know, I mean, it was just such a big game and he, he just seemed to handle it really well. So I, I, was, I was like, wow, that I, I just was really uh, impressed by that and really respected that.
0: As a casual fan. See, one thing I like about, Uh, Caleb is he seems like a very regular guy and he admits he has some brains to pick and stuff to learn. We don't always hear that from people these days as much, do we?
1: (laughs) No, no, not in this era. Right. No, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. So I'm looking forward to his hiring. You know, Steve, Jimmy Lake came under some scrutiny over the sidelines incident and so forth. When you played, would it have been that big of a deal if a coach, pushed play a player in the way that Lake did? Are we just like living in a different era where stuff like that's a bigger deal than maybe it used to be?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think it is different. I mean, I think, um, in my era, I, I, I think it would have been, uh, ignored probably and not really thought of, uh, it just seemed like the typical thing. Um, but yeah, I think these days, you know, coaches have and anybody in leadership has to be a lot more uh, cautious in terms of, uh, you know, how they handle themselves.
0: Right. See, we're going to take a uh, kind of a lap around a whole bunch of different subjects today. I want to go back to some of your thoughts on the Huskies and your pro career, but these are two questions I've been asking guests for the last couple of years now. And I always get the most amazing answers. Um, Who's a living sports figure you would love to interview and have a conversation with and who's a deceased sports figure in history you would have loved to have interviewed or chatted with?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, one of my favorites growing up was Vince Lombardi. I think I would love to pick his brain a little bit. I mean, he, he's just such a, a legendary figure. Um, so, you know, somebody that's no longer around, I think he would probably be the one. Um, and then uh, current figure are you saying current figure that's still playing
0: or not necessarily yeah however uh, you want to answer it can be just a a current sports figure who still have a commissioner a manager a player a retired player just someone that's still with us in the sports world that you would just think would be fascinating person to chat with um
1: i don't know i i i saw a documentary on barry sanders and um was just really intrigued by him he just is such a humble guy and you know I think if I was to interview anybody um you know I, I'd love to pick his brain a little bit more and you know what it was like to for him to step out at the peak of his career pretty much um so uh, I mean that's and maybe it's just because that interview on TV was fresh in my mind but uh he he was a real intriguing guy to me
0: you know no one none of my guests had answered Barry Sanders yet a terrific uh Answer that question of a living sports figure that a person would love to chat with. And I, I think maybe one other person mentioned Vince Lombardi, but those are two great answers you gave. So, um, two definitely fascinating sports figures there in, in sports history. Any thoughts, Steve, on this whole, uh, college playoff debate? Would you like to go to a top 16 format or do you like the final four? Would you like a top six? What's, uh, what are your thoughts on that whole issue, Steve?
1: I haven't put a lot of thought into it, but, um, you know, four does seem pretty narrow. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say I'd, if I if I had to vote, I'd vote for six or eight over four.
0: I, I've heard the idea of maybe having a, a top six and giving the, the top two a buy. Could you go along with something like that, maybe? Oh,
1: I, I don't think I'd like that, no. I, I, I think I'd, yeah, I think I'd prefer for either four and eight you know the thing about it is you know i actually got to talk to chris peterson uh, yesterday or day before about just the whole landscape of college football and you know he just reiterated that these kids have no time you know i mean they are it is a year-round thing and you know when they when they do rest it's you know they don't want to do anything else but just rest and So, you know, having more than eight just seems like um, it'd be going the wrong way, and just putting more and more uh, time restraint, you know, time on those athletes. You're a
0: real admirer of Coach Peterson, Steve.
1: I am. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, you know, when I, I I was able to, kind of, go through his built for life pitch a little bit when my son was recruited, and I just, you know. I could see why parents would want to have their kids, you know, come be mentored at the university of Washington to, to be in the program and, and,
0: uh, you know,
1: help these men uh, turn into men.
0: Has coaching ever interest you, Steve?
1: Yeah, definitely. In fact, I, I still uh, kind of go back and forth, whether I'd like to coach, not, not on a collegiate, level or anything like that but just even you know um younger kids or you know i I coached a little bit in high school football but but not necessarily football i mean i would i would love to coach volleyball or or basketball or you know i just really like basketball football volleyball are my top three sports just because they're so team oriented
0: well i saw your uh Husky colleague Greg Lewis last night, and Greg has coached girls basketball for many years. So, you can. He, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Greg, Greg did that. So it's uh you're not the first uh, former Husky to to coach a sport outside of football. In the, <laughs> so I want to mention that Greg's done some girls basketball coaching. Well, Steve, I want to talk about your pro career, and um, I had your Husky friend and former colleague Mark Patterson on a couple times, and I I paraphrase. I'm going to have the right quote, but Mark said that. Dying and going to football heaven was playing for the Los Angeles Raiders in the 1980s. Uh, was playing for the Dallas Cowboys in the 1980s, kind of like going to football heaven.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, I was really excited when I got drafted there and just, because um, I had followed them all growing up. I mean, I love Roger Staubach. I love Coach Landry. Um, you know, their defense was legendary. Um, their receivers, their running backs. So, yeah, it was a thrill to... To be able to go there with, you know, Tony Dorsett was still there, Ed Tutal Jones was still there, Tony Hill, um, you know, Danny White was still there. So a lot of the guys that had won, you know, uh, world championships were still involved. And uh, so it was pretty cool.
0: is, is a young guy... Joining the Cowboys, Steve. A lot of those legendary guys were they pretty kind, reaching out to you and some of the younger players when you were uh, a rookie?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, it was a little it was a little intimidating breaking in as as a rookie, but um, it didn't take long. I mean, I I think they they were pretty accepting and um, helpful, and so um, you know, I think. The interesting thing was just that there was this kind of aura around Tom Landry. I mean, even his coaches, I think, were a little bit intimidated by by him. And um, so uh, he just had a, an amazing presence.
0: You know, I was going to ask you a question about Tom Landry, and I'm going to combine this question here with Don James. Were they similar as coaches and as, as human beings, Tom Landry and Don James?
1: I would say that they were quite similar kind of cut out of that same old school mold in terms of, uh, you know, uh, kind of um, commanding a lot of respect, um, very, um, very uh, disciplined, you know, their expectation you know you wouldn't you would never be late for a meeting um you, you would always uh you know take your hat off i mean they were just old school you know no hats in meetings you know you uh you know everybody i don't know that everybody did but most people call them sir you know so um and the other thing is they both didn't have much to say you know they they, they, they weren't real You know, they were definitely not touchy feely guys, you know, they were, you know, get about your business and, you know, uh, it wasn't like they poked a lot of fun and joked around a whole lot. It was, it was pretty, pretty business as usual for both of them.
0: You mentioned no hats, Steve, and and uh, when you played for the Cowboys. But Tom Landry always wore that famous sort of cowboy hat, though, on the sidelines. Yeah, so, yeah,
1: so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was just no hats in meetings. Gotcha,
0: you know, so. gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, I was when I was preparing for your interview, I was just thinking about Tom Landry and Don James and you getting your feedback because they they kind of remind me of each other from afar a little bit too. So, I yeah, kind of see. Uh, um, I have a question from Greg Roberts, our friend, and they were both in our same. He was in our same college fraternity. Uh, Greg wants to know when are you going to going to show up and play Eastgate hoops?
1: Man, you know, I'm almost back to the um, back to the ability to play basketball. I I had both of my n- knees replaced, and um, so I've got two straight legs now. And no pain, so uh, I don't think I could run the court for very long, but I could probably play half court. So uh, tell Greg that if if we can play half court, I am probably much more accessible.
0: I think he's hearing it right now, but I will relay him the message as well. So, <laughs> so. Steve, you know I I remember your career reasonably well, and um, I I as I was kind of going through some your background um you had an amazing game in 1985 where you entered a close game for Dallas when Danny White and Gary Hogaboom, the two um quarterbacks who were ahead of you in the lineup were injured and in your second series you directed a 72-yard drive for a winning touchdown leading the Cowboys to a victory that clinched a division title was that your most memorable NFL game Steve back in 85
1: you know uh I do remember that now. Uh, I don't think it was my most memorable though, because um, the the one I remember is in the Meadowlands against the Giants when we lost and not when we won. For some reason, that one sticks in my mind even more because uh, we kept coming back and coming back. And uh, uh, I remember coming to the sidelines uh, and it was, and Coach Landry asked me, he's like, "Hey, should we go for it or should we kick a field goal? Because uh, I think a field goal would have tied it, maybe, and um, and it would have been a long field goal." Raphael Septien was our kicker, and I said, "Let's kick it." And then I, and he, he missed it, and I just kind of remember kicking myself that, you know, if I had some balls, we would have gone for it, and and. And so I kind of kicked myself for not kind of putting the responsibility on someone else because I, I didn't have a lot of confidence that he could make that long a field goal. So, um, but it kind of took the pressure off myself um, and, you know, put it on somebody else. And so I, I, I think that's the one that sticks in my mind because of the regret.
0: Those are obviously probably one of the toughest decisions in offense in football is whether to kick a field goal or not. Isn't it, Steve? Those are always close calls, aren't they?
1: Well, there is. I mean, especially when you kind of know the range of your kicker, you know, and so, but I mean the, the chances of, you know, uh, a touchdown from the 40 yard line is, is, um, you know, I, I can't remember how much time there was left, but I think there was only time left for one play. So,
0: Paul Schneider, i the host of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio with Husky NFL legend Steve Palure. Steve, you, you grew up in the uh, Seattle area. You, you live in the Seattle area now. Was there ever a side of you that wished you played for the Seattle Seahawks in your NFL career?
1: Yeah, I don't know that I ever um, talked to them. It's funny that uh, on the day I was drafted, uh, I decided to just uh, – Stay at home that day and just see if I might get drafted in the top, um, I don't know, top three rounds or something like. I think it was in the morning. You know, it wasn't quite as a big a, event as it is today, but um, there was actually a, a Seahawk uh, representative that called and said, "Hey, can I come to your house for the draft?" And uh, I was like, well, you know, why would you want why why would you want to come to my house? You know, I didn't really. I, that's what I was thinking in my mind. I didn't ask him, and I, and I just said, well, well, sure. I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to be at the house all day, but if I'm there, you can come. And so I, I, I think he might have come. Is kind of my memory, and and then I just told them, and I didn't get drafted like in the first three rounds. I said, hey, you know. I got to go to class, but you know, you're welcome to stay if you want. (laughs) And, and so it was just kind of weird. You know, I don't know if they thought that maybe I would be a free agent or if they were interested in me, but um, I just thought that that was always funny that the Seahawks had somebody there with me, you know, in the early rounds of the draft.
0: That's an interesting story. Did you have an agent in those days?
1: I did. I think it was the same agent that Don James had used at the time. And so he, I, I kind of thought, well, you know, if Coach James, he's good for Coach James, he'd be good for me.
0: Um, did you enjoy your years playing for the Kansas City Chiefs?
1: Yeah, I think those were some of my favorite years, just because um, I really liked Coach Schottenheimer. The, the, uh, the, I thought the offensive coordinator was top-notch. Um, you know, we had some, some great running backs, um, Christian Okoye and Barry Word. So, I mean, it really helped to have a dynamic running game. And, um, and so I, I really enjoyed it there.
0: Steve, you mentioned Marty Schottenheimer. Um, some pundits believe he's the best coach who's not in the hall of fame. Do you think there's a good hall of fame case for Marty Schottenheimer?
1: Yeah, I, I, I I love Marty. He was he was a a players coach for sure. Um and uh you know, it was fun too just seeing his son come to Seattle cuz I remember him when he was in high school there and would come to practice and uh so it's 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 uh you know, it is too bad that he never won a Super Bowl because he he just he assembled some amazing staffs. I mean the the staff that we had when I was there, you know, included, you know, Tony Dungy was coaching the secondary. Bill Cower was the linebacker coach. Uh, Bruce Arians was the tight end coach. Herm Edwards helped on the defense. Wow. Um, you know, and I think the, I want to say that the coordinator for the chiefs now, uh, you know, was, was there on staff. I mean, it was just this all-star staff. I mean, that, um you know all, all went on to be head coaches in the NFL I mean it was it was incredible
0: those are huge names the, that staff that there could be a yeah. story on on the staff that you coaching staff you played on. you got time for 10 15 more minutes Steve you got, Sure. Yeah. got' great, yeah. great 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 I don't want to take too much of your time and thank you so much for doing this um if we could rewind for a second do you have any general thoughts on this whole college pay issue debate what what what's your thinking on whole issue Steve I just
1: think it's it's just changing the landscape so quickly i mean um between that and um you know all these conferences buying for um you know tv money and um switching you know their allegiances and uh, all that stuff i mean it just seems like everything you know the, the the transfer portal um You know and it seems like a lot of it is really fueled by the desire for dollars and um so i mean and to some degree i think it's good i mean these these kids are sacrificing a lot i mean granted they're they're um being put to work so to speak but um so I, i do think i like the fact that they're being rewarded but um uh you know i I do also think that the the old days where there was allegiance and you know you had to put in your, you know your two or three years and and then get an opportunity to play you know um, I, I miss the the simpler times you know now you know especially Quarterback, you know, you don't – if you're not starting, you just enter the transfer portal and you go somewhere else. And so it, it um, it's it's a lot different than the old days.
0: A lot well, there. There's all these, you know, complex Title Nine issues, the college pay issue. It's really – I mean, there's so many different layers to it, aren't there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about the whole Title Nine thing. I mean, uh, yeah, it's going to be – it's going to be a, a – tricky thing to navigate in the next few years.
0: Yeah, it sure seems like it. Back up for a second, you know, we talked about Marty Schottenheimer. I had one of your uh, former NFL quarterback colleagues on, Dave Craig, a couple months ago, and uh, Dave mentioned something about Marty Schottenheimer that as a fan I thought was very interesting. He said he was one of the few head coaches that would attend special teams meetings. He was like mm-hmm. that much of a detail guy. So Dave huh. mentioned that when I had him on. So
1: Yeah, I don't even remember that, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, he he... He, he was really good at letting his coordinators coach. I mean, he just, he was a coach of the coaches and, and really a, a guy that tried to bring everybody together. And um, so uh, that doesn't surprise me at all.
0: Steve, I'm telling you, I'm going to hit on some, I told you we're going to hit on some different subjects. I'm going to give you a, now a, a question that may seem a well little outside the box. Do you have a favorite sports movie?
1: Um,. I don't know, uh, what's the one? um, Remember the Titans probably has got to have to be my favorite. I mean, I like Hoosiers too, but uh, something about uh, Remember the Titans, um, I think really um, would have to be my my favorite.
0: That movie's come up, uh, um, some other football movies that have come up in conversation, North Dallas 40, uh, Rudy, We Are Marshall, any given Sunday. There's a few others that have come up so
1: yeah but
0: yeah you mentioned you mentioned a good one with uh, the, the Titans movie. Well Steve, you've had a long career in in commercial real estate and um, I, I'd like you to share a little bit about your career to, to myself and the listeners but can you share with how some of the skills you learned in football have helped your real estate career?
1: Yeah I mean I think um, I really think, the whole team aspect of the give and take and, you know, really trying to, um, think of the other, uh, teammate before yourself, I think is, um, been really important. A lot of my work is with nonprofits, um, primarily churches and private schools. And so I find myself working with a lot of, uh, volunteer boards and decision makers and, um, I mean, I, I, think, I think in sports, I just learned a lot of patience. Um, and uh, I think it's served me well in this, in this uh, arena. And, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit of my personality, but um, you, just, you just have to be uh, patient and be able to listen in this environment because um, there's a lot of people that have vested interest in what happens.
0: This this may be kind of a, a random unique question, Steve. But is there anything similar at all to analyzing a commercial real estate proposition? To maybe analyzing uh, what plays to run in football? Do you ever do you see any very loose similarities at all with in that realm at all?
1: Um, I would have to say it's quite a bit different. But you know, even in uh, you know high school and college, I I just had a a great passion for real estate, uh, much like my passion for athletics, you know, and um, they are a bit different. But, you know, the creative aspect of real estate is I think what, you know, um, inspired me so much that you can take, you know, kind of what looks like a dump and turn it into something, you know, really, um, really pleasing and valuable. And uh, so I think there's some element to that. in football that you can take a bunch of ragtag guys with some ability and and with a common vision, you know, turn it into something that works like a well-oiled machine. So, I mean, I think there are some similarities.
0: Thank you for building up my sloppy question. I was just trying to sort of <laughs> sort of think through how the how football and real estate can be connected in some ways. Uh Paul Schneiderman again. We got a few more minutes here with uh UW Football Legend Steve Palure on the Sports Untold podcast also on Rainier Radio. Well, Steve, who's a quarterback in history um, that you've always really admired? It can be a deceased one or a living one. Any any quarterback that you've always emulated in one way or another?
1: Well, I think my favorite growing up was Bart Starr. Um, But I I can hardly remember watching him play. It was so long ago. Um, But I think after that, I really just um, was impressed by Roger the Dodger. And I think... Um, Staubach just had such a, um, resiliency, uh, you know, just was such a great leader. You could tell, um, that he was in command. And so, uh, I think he was probably my, my
0: favorite overall. Roger Staubach. Have you got to know Roger Staubach over the years?
1: Not real well. I mean, I, I was able to meet him a few times when I was in Dallas and then he actually went into real estate and started and. A, a, a national, maybe even global real estate company and ended up selling it. And so uh, at one time it was called the Staubach Company. And I remember him coming to Seattle to kind of recruit some people. And, and I was thinking, man, that would be kind of cool to, you know, join his company. Um, I never did, but uh, I always thought that would have been pretty cool to, to be a part of the, the Staubach Company.
0: I didn't know that he became a, a big real estate guy, Roger Staubach, definitely a famous Hall of Fame quarterback. Steve, can you share a little bit about playing in Europe and Canada? Any, can you just give us some general uh, tidbits on your experience, play, experiences playing those two countries?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it, I had retired for a couple of years, and so I ended up going back into professional football after I got married, which was a, kind of a new thing because in the NFL I wasn't married. Um, and so it was fun for my wife to get a taste of, uh, you know, maybe not the NFL, but what it was like a little bit as a professional athlete. So, um, but some of my favorite football experiences were in Germany, uh, the, the fans in Frankfurt were, um, some of the best fans in the world that, uh, and you wouldn't expect it, but they I think they're just used to standing up and, and pounding music and yelling and screaming at soccer games. And they did the same in football. I mean, it would be so loud. uh, And they'd have the beer garden open, you know, two or two to four hours before the game. So, you know, uh, and there would be confetti all over the place. And they'd just be chanting, they'd be chanting players names. You know, Mario Bailey was over there. He was at the same time, I was, and he was quite a bit younger than me, and he was a, a legend over there. So that was that was some of the most fun uh, football I've ever had uh, and enjoyed. And it was fun that when my wife was able to enjoy that a little bit, we even had a our first child was, was over there at the time, um, my second year in Frankfurt.
0: And, and and did you enjoy playing in Canada for a year or two? I believe it was.
1: Yeah. I ended up getting hurt there. So, uh, and I was in Winnipeg. So I, I was really only there half, half a season, which in a, in a sense was a blessing because I didn't get to experience Winnipeg in the winter. Um, but, uh, that was, that was just, uh, you know, took a little bit of a learning curve just because they have so many different rules and, um, You know, you got two or three guys moving at the snap of the ball. And so it was fun just to get a taste of it. And, uh, you know, it was really a fun experience, but, um, you know, it didn't last very long.
0: No fourth downs in the CFL, right? That's right. You're right. It's a little different different football. Did you and your wife, were you guys able to travel around Europe a little bit when you played for Frankfurt?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, they flew us out early to Barcelona um, for a – uh kind of a media thing so we got to spend you know some time out there uh she uh, has a scottish background and they had teams in london and scotland so uh she was able to travel around london and scotland with her mom and meet up with us and so yeah she was able to travel uh, a fair bit as well
0: great great um, it's fun to hear about your, some of your experiences outside the NFL as well. Well, uh, what's in the future for Steve Pulera? Feel free to, feel free to share. Maybe what some of your family members are up to. Give, give us a little uh, future. Uh, what's in, in in it for your future and your families?
1: Sure. Um, well, I mean it's it's been really fun to be reconnected at at University of Washington with my son, uh, and kind of to meet his teammates. And um, it's been a passion of mine and my wife, Jennifer, to, uh, kind of help build a family atmosphere there within the, the team and the families that come from all over for games. So hopefully if, if Z continues to be there, we'll be able to, I don't know, uh, build more of a, uh, family atmosphere for the families that come in from out of town, just so there's more of a connection point, um. And, and I'm also working to try to build a, a mentorship program for Great. Uh, not just the football players, but all the college athletes in the region that can help them with, um, you know, mental health, uh, spiritual, um, uh, mental health issues, those kind of things.
0: Well, it seems like there's a lot, lot going on. You know, when I think of like Romeo and Juliet, the, the Capulets, and the Montagues, the the Peler family, you guys are kind of a combination of the Capulets and Montagues have kind of figure a way to get along, right, Steve? You know? So. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, we still, we still have our husky cougar um, uh, antagonistic uh, attitude sometimes, but it's all in good fun, and you know, I. I've, I've always loved the Cougars and, and, uh, you know, always pulling for them uh, if, if they're not playing the Huskies. So, and it was tough when my nephew was there to, you know, uh, uh, when they were playing the Huskies, just cause you, you know, family always comes first.
0: That's always an interesting question. Husky nation, whether, whether a Husky fan should play, should root for the Cougars when they're not playing Washington. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you, but I've heard some debates on that subject. So. <laughs> Well, Steve, thank you so much for doing this on Sports on Really appreciate it. A lot of fun. I'm great to have you join my list of great interviewees. And uh, have a great Christmas and holiday season. And thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks, Paul. It was a pleasure to meet you.
0: You too. Likewise, Steve. You stay safe.
1: Okay. Bye bye.